Hi, everybody, and welcome to Little Fires Everywhere, the official podcast, your formal safe space to learn, analyze, and decompress after every new episode of Little Fires Everywhere airs on Hulu. My name is Jamie Loftus. I am normally the host of iHeart, the Bechtel cast in my year in Mensa, but for this series, I'm going to be your tour guide through Little Fires Everywhere, along with the show's showrunner, executive producer, and head writer, the wonderful Liz Tigelar. Liz was handpicked for this project after a successful career as a TV writer and producer working on such projects as Brothers and Sisters, Life Unexpected, Once Upon a Time, Nashville, and Casual. No big deal. Before being chosen to be the heart and soul of Little Fires Everywhere. But first, I would be remiss if I did not mention that this podcast is airing after the first three episodes of Little Fires Everywhere airs on Hulu. So, if you're not caught up, just a warning, there's going to be spoilers for those first three episodes in the podcast. So don't at me if you didn't listen now. Today, for our first episode of Little Fires Everywhere, the official podcast, I wanted to explore the idea of adaptation because making a really good adaptation takes a lot of great people working at the very, very top of their game. So how do you turn a well-loved novel into an amazing drama series starring two of the most talented actresses of their generation, Reese Witherspoon and Carrie Washington? It's totally easy, you guys. I'm kidding, but you know, we're going to find that out today. We're going to get to know Liz Tigelar even better in a bit, but today I want to take you from page to screen the old-fashioned way. So we're going to start at the page. Liz and I got a chance to speak to the woman who started it all, Celeste Ng, who published Little Fires Everywhere in 2017 based on her own experience growing up in Shaker Heights, Ohio. The book was universally praised by readers and critics alike, not only for its complicated dual protagonists, Mia Warren and Elena Richardson, but for the sheer volume of controversial topics it dealt with, with nuance and grace. Topics like class and motherhood in the very rarely discussed shades of gray on both sides of the interracial adoption process. The book absolutely captured readers, and it inspired Lauren Neustadter, a producer at Reese Witherspoon's production company Hello Sunshine, to get this whole page-to-screen process started. And we will be talking about that later in the episode. But first, Liz Celeste and I talked about seeing your work come to life, expanding on characters and ideas for the screen, and more. Let's take a listen. So, Celeste, thank you for calling in. Uh, I wanted to start with you. Uh, have you ever had something of yours adapted to the screen before? And is it ever something that's like in your mind as you're writing? Like, I wonder what this would look like on screen, or I wonder who would play Elena or Mia or, or so on. No, this is the first writing project of mine that I've had adapted. Got it. When I'm writing, I'm basically trying to fool myself into thinking that nobody will ever read what I write because otherwise I'm too nervous to get it down. So the thought of adaptation or somebody else taking what I had and making it into something new is was never something that had crossed my mind. Got it. And uh, and Liz, at what point in this process did you come in? My understanding is you were introduced to this project by Lauren Neustadter at Reese's production company, Hello Sunshine, and Reese had already gotten Kerry Washington signed on by the time you were brought in. So basically, you know, Celeste book got to Lauren, Lauren got it to Reese, Reese loved it, got it to Carrie, Carrie wanted to play Mia and then once it was at that point they needed a writer 
So eventually Lauren sent it to me and said, you know, you have 24 hours to read this. And if you want it, it's yours. Um, you know, pending Celeste's approval. And um, I read it and I loved it. And, um, you know, there were just so many points of connectivity for me in reading it. And also there were just moments that I just felt such waves of emotion well up in me. Celeste is such a beautiful writer. And it, and um, I just felt like... I don't know, this gift had kind of fallen into my lap. And um, I was like, yes, you know, I've said before, I felt like there was the book and then recent carrier signed on to be in it, which is like the icing on the cake. But that's not really the icing on the cake. Those are like two separate cakes. And so it was like someone's like, here's three cakes. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> like, how did this happen? I have like the book and Reese and Carrie. And so um, and I didn't really have to do anything to get the job. And so it was just, it was amazing. Um, and then it was great because then we met and we kind of all met in a group, but Celeste and I really got to talk. And I was able to say from reading the book, you know, what I might do in an adaptation that was like taking what was in the book and then even getting to expand out on that. And the great part was that, you know, I knew we were going to have eight episodes to take all those things and expand them out in these episodes. So it felt really great from the start. And I've, I've said about Celeste the whole time, like, I, I would imagine anyone who writes a book like this feels extremely close to the material. Obviously, <laughs> there are humongously personal elements in this book, um, let alone just based on the place that you grew up and came of age. And so I think to give it over so generously and so freely with so much trust. I mean, obviously spoke to the level of trust she had with Reese and Carrie, but also it meant that she had a lot of trust for me and for the writing staff I put together. And it gave us a lot of freedom to not feel handcuffed by the material, but at the same time, we all love the material so much. I mean, when Celeste came to set, she said that everyone had like their dog-eared copies of the book. You know, everyone wanted her to sign their book. Everyone had dog-eared copies of the book. Everyone had their highlighted passages. This was a book that was beloved, um, is beloved. And so I think that um, we didn't want to honor the book because we had to. We wanted to honor the book because we wanted to honor the book because we all love the book. Yeah. And that was that was so clear from the beginning. And you made it very easy for me to trust you. I mean, really, from the beginning, when you came to me and were like, I'm thinking about taking this character and kind of extending her in this way, or I'm thinking about that this character might be exploring this in one of her plot lines. It was such a such a relief for me because I, again, thought, oh, some of those are things that I wanted to do. Others, you know, things that you thought of, I wouldn't have. And I I still just loved because I felt like they were always true to the characters and they were always rooted in the themes of the book. And I feel like that's been true at every step of the process, that it, there's been such sort of love and respect for the book. And that's what allows this series to kind of take the book and move it in a very slightly different direction. It's always been really firmly rooted in like such a deep respect for the book. And as, as an author, that's, it's a huge, it feels like a compliment to me, but it also feels really reassuring. It kind of gives me the freedom to go, I trust you, do, do what you will, because I know that you're going to do something that will be faithful to the, the sort of soul of this, this story. And Celeste, you mentioned things you thought about doing in the book, but didn't. Uh, could you give us an example of something the show did get to do that you didn't have uh, real estate for in the book? Yeah. So 
I mean, right up front, something that I had sort of wanted to explore in the book, but that um, everyone in the show was able to explore in a different way was um, Mia's ethnicity. Uh, obviously, casting Carrie as Mia, Carrie's a Black woman, changes what's in the book, because in that book, Mia is not specifically marked, but I, I wrote her thinking of a working class white woman. But I had wanted to make her a person of color oh. originally. I had thought that that would be another way of exploring these issues of race and class and really just privilege and power. But I didn't think that I could write a Black woman's experience. I didn't want to presume that I could imagine fully what that was like. And so I wrote the character of Mia as a white woman. And I was really happy when Reese and Lauren came and said, we're thinking of casting Carrie, because it meant that they were seeing the same themes in the book and that they were willing to kind of lean into that and explore those right up front. And so Carrie's casting obviously brings that right into the forefront of the story. Right. And diversity of perspective is an important part of this show on screen and off with the production staff. So um, yeah. So Celeste, what was your impression of the writing team on the show? You you visited the writer's room during production, right? Yeah. It, um, I think the room that you put together was so diverse, not just in terms of race, but in terms of background, and in terms of experience. And I think it really showed when I was reading the scripts and then when I got to see them on screen that there is such a level of nuanced understanding. Um, I remember you saying at one point that it was not like any everybody in the room brought one thing. Everybody in the room brought, you know, like five things. Yeah. And it shows because these are really complex intersections of all kinds of different life situations about the race and the class and all of those kind of different intersections of all of those different sort of privileges and struggles. It shows. And I think when I got to come to the room too, it was really fascinating to see people say, well, this was my experience, but like, hold on, wait, okay, what about this? Well, when you're saying this, you know, that's really different. And to kind of be able to look at an issue from many, many different perspectives, I think that's part of what gives these complicated moments in the show a lot of their power um we're not nobody's being flattened here everybody is kind of being given many sort of different facets um and that shouldn't be rare in tv but sometimes it is and it's really beautifully done that's so cool did, did it make you like want to be in writer's rooms and try out <laughs> I mean, I, I want to be a fly on the wall in the writer's room. I learned so much as a writer um, because as a novelist, it's really just me. Like I'm here in my office and I'm alone right now. Right. And I get to kind of decide stuff and I can scrap stuff and I can make decisions. I, I make many bad decisions and there's nobody to stop me. Um, <laughs> it, it, so I really enjoyed seeing that kind of collaborative process. I don't know if I could do it because I feel like uh, um, I feel like it's it's such a skill to be able to talk those things out. Whereas my usual method is I just sit there and stare at my computer screen and kind of uh, inadvertently make faces and like tug at my hair. <laughs> and, and then eventually maybe I come up with an idea. Um, but it gave me a new way of thinking about how to approach plot and character, um, seeing the way that the room was really thinking about arc and thinking about, okay, what is each character's arc over the course of the entire show? There's this giant rainbow colored um, chart up on the wall, which I took a picture of as an inspiration for myself, um, about how to kind of keep each of those threads there and make sure that nobody falls through the wayside. I mean, that was a whole different way of storytelling. And so if I could just kind of quietly eavesdrop on, on, you know, every writer's room in the world, that would be, that would be the best. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Sounds like this went pretty well. 
it's really been, I think, a charmed experience. I mean, every interview, they're like, how did it go? Did you like it? Were you defensive? And I always feel like there's a, a secret part where people sort of hope that I'll say it was horrible because <laughs> that would be, a, you know, that's a juicy story. But the truth is that I, I feel like everyone working on this production um, really came to the book with such respect and yet also with such energy and so many ideas about how to translate it to the screen. And it was this sort of really charmed experience where um, I feel like it set a really high bar for whatever I work on in the future um, that I'm going to kind of expect this level of sort of love for the book and this kind of synergy to happen. Um, but it's, it's, it's a hard example to follow because everybody did seem to be bringing their a game and it, 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 it seems to have just clicked together in a really beautiful way. Yeah, I felt so, you know, across the board, I felt like there was just so much passion um, and heart. And it felt, you know, look, it was it was a privilege to get to go into a writer's room and to be able to talk about things that felt so vital. You know, you don't sit around, especially as a white person in everyday life, talking about race and class very often. Um, you don't. You're not forced to kind of confront what you think. And you have the luxury of not thinking about it sometimes, probably most of the time. And so to go into a room where that is our task, and then to also talk about through the lens of motherhood, when a lot of us are mothers, I, I think it just, it felt, it felt important in a way where I don't mean like, the work is so important and the show is so important, although certainly they are to me and I hope they will be to others. I mean to say that I think the experience of doing the work felt so important. And yeah. I think the other part of it, and I, I hope one of the reasons that it went so well, and I believe this, is that most of us are moms. And, you know, moms know how to do a bunch of things, but many of which, which are be efficient, um, collaborate, and take care of something you love. And those qualities, <laughs> I think, are, um, are uh, part of what's made this such a great experience. So. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it that way, Liz, but I, I'm thinking that, you know, it, if there's a parenting lesson in the book, and it certainly <laughs> is not intended to be any kind of parenting manual in any way, I don't want to pretend I have any answers, let alone <laughs> that they're in the book, but I, I do think, you know, one of the things I think a lot about and that works its way into my writing is this idea that your child is a separate being from you. And yeah. that even when you maybe want a particular thing for them for very, very good reasons, a lot of times you have to recognize that maybe that's not what they need. And you have to give them the space to get what they need and to figure out who they are. And I think there is a parallel there, um, certainly for me in thinking about here's this book, which is my baby, right. uh, one of my babies, but I'm going to let it go out and grow up into something else. Right. And, and, then, to, and I think that sharing sort of a sharing of responsibility, which is sort of like, I'm going to support you. I'm going to push you in the ways that I think you need. But if it seems like you need something else, I'm also going to respect that. And that was the attitude that I think everybody working on this production that I've talked to had. They had ideas and visions for where it wanted to go. And then if they saw that that wasn't quite right they were willing to course adjust and listen to the project the way I guess that you hopefully listen to your child as they start to grow up and tell you who they are and what they need. I hadn't thought about it like that, but it's actually a pretty good analogy. Absolutely. I know. I think, and I 
I even felt that way from script form into production, into editing. Yeah. And now on the cusp of kind of having it out in the world, like I felt those moments too. And there is, there's like a beautiful Mary Oliver quote, which I won't even be able to say the whole thing, but it, it has to do with like to live in this world, you have to do three things. And one of the things I think is like holding fiercely to what's yours or what you love the most. And then when the time comes, knowing when you have to let it go. And I do feel like, and I mean, it wrecks me, even though of course I've now butchered the quote, um, uh, the quote in its, in its, its rightful place wrecks me. And I think that there is something about this that's similar. And I know the writers felt that way when they wrote their own scripts and even just had to give them to me. Um, I know I felt that way and in giving it over too. And I'm sure, of course, you felt that way, Celeste. And I think that that is a, I think that that is in our, in our best hopes as parents or mothers that you can see something kind of getting its legs and taking its shape and being what it's going to become And then helping guide it to become that without getting in its way. And I think that um, I I think part of the reason this this experience has been so so great is because of because of the motherhood aspect, both in the story and both in the people who have who have brought it to life. You know, Celeste, first and foremost, (laughs) it's sort of recognizing that you are a big influence, but one of the influences on this thing and this thing's life. And then also giving it the space to become what it's going to be, um, even if that wasn't what you thought it was going to be originally. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I was in awe of the enormous just numbers of people working on this project, um, because this is my first experience in film. But seeing everybody kind of click in, um, everybody's got their own job and everybody's got their own particular visions. But there's this moment where all the gears kind of go click, 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 and then it'll go and they all turn a bunch. And it was pretty amazing to watch. Again, as a novelist, it's usually just me. And so to get to see that kind of collaboration and that kind of collaboration working really well was was pretty stunning. That was Celeste Ng, who we will be hearing more from in our next episode, speaking on her experience growing up in the real life Shaker Heights, Ohio in the 90s. So now you know where the page to screen process begins. And from here, Liz Tegelar becomes absolutely critical to the project. A showrunner is, well, they run the show. They're involved in every facet in a creative sense, and they become the spiritual center of the project itself at every phase of production. And for a show like Little Fires Everywhere, this was no small pressure. But Liz, as you're about to hear, had more than enough heart and determination and talent to make this show something truly special. So what you're about to hear is an interview from the second time we ever met. So you will be able to hear me actively developing a friend crush on her. Hi, Liz. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. Just to start things out, what I'm really curious about is adapting such a well-loved work you go into this process knowing some basic adaptation changes you want. You have your two leads yep. and then you're building your writer's room. Yeah. So what were you looking for and how did you sort of build this team? So I knew sure. it was really important to me that the racial landscape of the upper level writers of the room matched the book sure. because I felt like that's the only way that we're going to be able to encompass all the voices of the book and accurately tell the story. And so that's what I focused on putting together. But of course, as I focused on doing that, I kept meeting with people. And every time I met with somebody, I felt like they would be perfect for the show. And how could I do the show without them? And so 
what was going to be a maybe three person staff or maybe four ended oh, up wow. being a seven person staff because I just felt like I couldn't live without anybody. I actually wanted an eighth writer, but there weren't enough episodes. I knew I wanted mothers in that upper level position. I knew I wanted, not that I wasn't open to men, but it's a story about mothers. And I felt like who better to tell it than mothers? Absolutely. Um, and so that was really what my hopes were for assembling the room. I ended up with all these wonderful writers, half of which I had worked with before, mm-hmm. and then half of which were new to me. And we did hire one guy, Harris Dano, um, because... Token it, man. Yes, he was our token man, <laughs> our token white man. And he was incredible. ABC was like, don't you want one man? And I was like, ah, does it ruin the picture? And then I'm like, it doesn't <laughs> need to ruin the picture. And if there's any man who should be in this room and would thrive with all women is Harris. And so we ended up just assembling this great room and it was the best room I've ever been in in terms of what everybody had to offer from their own life perspective and how everybody just cared so deeply about the material. You know, and different people advocated for different things at at different times and and Carrie included talking about like, what do we want to say with these characters? We didn't want to imply that Mia only had an issue with Elena because she was white. We wanted to make it clear that it was the wealth and just the privilege and the lack of understanding somebody in a different position. And this question of because you can afford to be a great parent, does that actually make you a great parent? One of the things that I really loved, we get these moments with Elena and Mia that we didn't get in the book. That means that we get Reese and Carrie on screen, which is what everybody wants. So how did you approach those scenes? That's a good question. I mean, we definitely said they have to be in scenes together and they have to have a story that pings off each other. They can't be siloed into their own worlds and not cross because like you're saying, their relationship is our, in some ways, love hate story of, (laughs) you know, of the, of the series. So it's, they're the couple that we're the most interested in. Sure. And I think that meant moving up a lot of things in terms of structure. I knew I wanted to have Mia in that house or agreeing to be in that house by the end of the pilot, because I felt like that launched what their dynamic was going to be. Right. And then to find moments that felt really truthful. You know, I think in episode two, we talked a lot about how does Mia really feel about Elena and when is she truthful and when is she playing a game? And and I say playing a game, but really what I mean is doing what she needs to do to not have her secrets revealed and to keep, you know, to keep Elena basically off her trail. It's her walking this line between setting her boundaries, but not having Elena's antenna raised about her. And then if it is having to figure out how to diffuse the situation Mm -hmm. and get Elena feeling okay again until it gets combative and hostile between them, which are very truthful moments. Liz and I had so much more to talk about, but we don't want to give too much away. Uh, So to close out this first podcast episode, we're going to talk to the executive producer team about a lot of stuff, um, some of the page to screen elements, and about one of my favorite aspects of the Little Fires Everywhere team, which is at the top level, 
it's all women, which is a very, very rare thing in the television business or if you exist in the world, in any business. So Liz and I are going to have a chat with Lauren Neustadter of Hello Sunshine, Reese Witherspoon's production company, and Pilar Savone of Simpson Street Productions, Carrie Washington's company. They, along with Reese, Carrie, Liz, and director Lynn Shelton, are the executive producers on Little Fires Everywhere. So we're going to talk about that and more. Let's take a listen. So Lauren and Pilar, thank you so much for being here. What I'd really like to talk about is the collaboration that happened on the production team in this. It's, I think, one of the only shows I've ever seen that has all women at the top of the pecking order. Is this, I mean, working on an all-female producer team, is that something that you had experienced before? And yeah, like, I imagine it only makes life easier. So I I would love uh, love to hear everyone speak to that. Speaking from the Hello Sunshine side, I would say we strive for representation and we want to make sure that there are always women in the conversation. And at the front of the conversation, this team was a total dream team. Mm -hmm. Um, It was so carefully curated at every step. And I think uh, we just became a family and we had so many conversations that were inspiring, so many conversations that were hard. Um, so many conversations that were really about how do we tell this story in the best way, in the most thoughtful way, in the most authentic way. Mm-hmm. And I think without every member of the team, we could never have done what we did. Amazing. Pilar? Um, yeah, from my point of view, it was I grew up in the, in the man's world on this in this business. So it was actually a really new experience to be working with all women. And it was amazing. Um but it's different. It's definitely different when you have a bunch of women sitting down and trying to figure things out. It's more thoughtful. It sometimes is easier. Um, we laughed. We cried. Um, we just really dug in in a different way as opposed yeah. to having a man just come in and da 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 um, But it was super important to all of us, and we made sure every step of the way that we were including women mm-hmm. and other diversity and, and just being really thoughtful in all of it. And men. We always wanted men, to include men in the conversation because mm-hmm. it wasn't about only having women in the conversation. Yeah. It was just sure. about it was about telling authentic and representative stories. And this is really one. Yeah. I mean, we made sure there was one man in the writer's room. We made sure that we were meeting male directors. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an amazing director, Michael Weaver, who directed episodes two and three. Liz brought him into the fold and he became such an important part of our family and in Zynga Stewart who directed six and seven was incredible yeah. as well. We had, we had a great group of people. And our production manager was a man, which I think was really fun. Brad. Oh, um, we love yeah. Brad. Who, yeah. Brad. Who, who was kind of like our dad, you know, I mean, when Brad oh. walked on set, it was like, <laughs> time to go. Let's wrap it up. I don't want to like, make dad he was, mad. He was kind of the, he was our dad. And our DPs were incredibly yeah. brilliant men. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I have time for uh, two more questions. So first, I wanted to ask, what was your involvement in the casting process um, where, you know, you go into this process knowing, okay, these are our two leads. Let's build a family for them and let's build a world around them. Um, Lauren, how did you know when you had found the family? We were intensely, intimately involved. David Rubin, our casting director, is tremendous. And we were so intentional about choosing these amazing kids who could really deliver the arc of the performance. And I think David was an amazing leader 
in doing that. And then really and truly every single one of us and Reese and Carrie were intimately involved in watching the tapes, talking about it together, making sure that we brought kids back. If we didn't see something that we needed to see, that we wanted to see because we knew where the character had to go, we really dug in. I mean, all of these kids are so amazing. It is a dream come true. We also did a bunch of chemistry reads, you know, to make sure that they all worked well together. But I also think having Reese and Carrie kind of always be that last step to make sure as actresses that they saw it in them as well. And these were the people that they wanted to be in scenes with every single day was really, really helpful. Oh, that's so cool. And we really wanted the kids to be the ages of real teenagers. We wanted them to be the ages of the characters they were playing. We didn't want to like 902 and 0 it, you know, (laughs) with a bunch of 20-year-olds. We really wanted them to feel uh, like authentic, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, 18-year-olds. And um, and I think that they do. Yeah, it feels very... Because they are. <laughs> it's always so, yeah, like cool slash almost jarring when you see someone who is the right age as a teenager playing a teenager. You're like, yeah, that is what a teenager looks like. Right. Yeah. Okay, last question. I will make it quick. Um, after, you know, taking this whole journey with this story from start to finish, Liz, what do you hope viewers take away from watching Little Fires Everywhere? I hope that they initially see themselves and then I hope that it leads them to examine themselves mm-hmm. and what their initial biases or gut reactions were and then how they critically think about them having seen the rest of the show. Um, I'd love it if people took that away. Cool. Lauren? Mine is very similar. I think when you watch the show, you will viscerally connect with a character. And I would invite our audience to go on the full journey with the character that they viscerally connect with, and then afterwards honestly examine the assumptions that they made at the beginning and the way that they feel at the end. And then really just take that away and and walk into the world and see the world through a slightly different lens and maybe ask more questions, maybe come with a little more curiosity and fewer assumptions, because I think we all have an opportunity to grow and be a little bit better. And I hope this show inspires everybody to do that. Cool. And what about you, Pilar? Yeah, I mean, mine is similar. I mean, I think we just want everybody to go on a journey with these characters and their lives. And I think that we were all teenagers at one point. Um, We all have parents or were parents at one point. I think we all relate to, there's a kernel in all of this that we all relate to, whether it's your relationship with your mother or your father or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Um, There's insecurities. There's um, striving to be better. So I think it's it's really digging deep and asking those questions of yourself. And then also just really having conversations with the people that are also watching it with you and and talking about um, some of the issues that we bring up. Um, And also just having I mean, just having a great time watching it. I mean, it's so fun. I was going to say, enjoy it. Enjoy (laughs) it. Savor it. Yes. It's juicy. It's really juicy. And (laughs) it only gets juicier as the show goes on. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank all three of you for making the time and coming in to talk to us. Thank you. Thank you. 
And now you've heard from the executive producers. And I hope that this episode gave you a better idea of how an adaptation of a novel is brought to life on screen. But make no mistake, we have many, many more people to talk to to get the full picture. So for the next five weeks, we'll be talking to actors, composers, writers, real people in Shaker Heights today, the artists behind me as work in the show, many, many more, and of course, more of the lovely Liz Tigelar. So next week, we're going to be exploring Shaker Heights, Ohio, inside and out. And in the meantime, you can watch new episodes of Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu every Wednesday and listen to us here on Little Fires Everywhere, the podcast every Thursday. And remember to subscribe to us on iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow at Little Fires Hulu on all platforms. My name's Jamie Loftus, and we'll see you next week in Shaker Heights.